welcome. You're listening to the Every Day is a New Day show. I am your host, Kim O'Neill, and this is the show that reminds you we live in a world of infinite possibilities. You are more amazing than you know. You are never alone, and the one with the power has always been you. I speak with awesome guests who have inspiring stories and tools to support you on your journey forward. Every day is always a new day, and your day's looking pretty bright. Welcome to the show. You are listening to Every Day is a New Day, and I am your host, Kim O'Neill, and I'm so happy to be here today. You know, I know the intro describes a little bit about this show, but I just want to, I was thinking, you know, I think I want to maybe describe the show in some other terms as well. This show is about moving forward in life and knowing that every single day presents new opportunities and possible outcomes for us. And when I say tomorrow, or every day is a new day, I mean, the you know, tomorrow or day, it's really just a metaphor for the next second, the next minute, the next hour. We get to choose that anything we may be experiencing at any time, no matter how heart-wrenching, challenging, traumatic it may be, things are not going to stay that way. And I want you to always remember that. So this show is about showcasing stories of people who have moved through their own life challenges and how they came out on the other side of it, now with wisdom, inspiration, and guidance to share with you. I've always had an interest in other people's stories ever since I was a kid. And it's funny because I remember this one time where my mom seemed to think that was interesting, and that's what alerted me to, oh, I guess not everyone has the same interest. But I always found it really inspiring to hear how people you know, went through all these different scenarios and how did they get to where they want to go? So much in life we think, well, how, 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 how do I, how do I achieve my big goals and dreams? How do I get out of, you know, this awful situation that I was maybe born into? And what I've learned over time is that while there isn't really any one set way. There isn't really necessarily a formula for this is how, and you just got to keep searching until you find it. Each story does have similarities. And, you know, they may have to do with the mindset that you choose to adopt and, you know, who you choose to align yourself with and connect with. And there's all these little clues that, that we discover along the way to find our way beyond wherever our present moment is. And so before we get to our guest today, because she has an amazing story that I know will absolutely resonate with so many people, it does with me, um, I want to share just a little bit of exciting news that I have, that this year I chose to say yes to becoming a published author myself. And I'm so, so excited about this. I am one of eight other authors. We all came together and we are we co-authored a book that is in just the very final stages of becoming published. And we are looking presently at a pre-order date somewhere in mid to late September. And I will absolutely keep you posted on that. The book is called Positive-Minded People, Inspiring Stories of Overcoming Adversity, 
for a more positive life. And again, it's about really what this show is about. It's about our stories of those really dark times in life and how we continued to look ahead and learn from our journey. Because that's ultimately what it's about. It's about what did you learn? And this book is has a range of topics in it. So just some of the, the stories include themes of addiction, suicide, mother's guilt, sexuality and gender identity, relationship breakups, and so much more. And this past weekend, we all came together. It was really phenomenal because we, we came from all over. We all came together, and one of the things that we did is we had our very first public talk where we were supposed to we were supposed to just have say, five to seven minutes to give a brief synopsis of what our story in the book is about and, you know, any additional messages we wanted to share about that. And I really thought, oh, my goodness, it took me so many years to even write this story. How am I going to whittle everything down even more to just a few minutes? And as I asked myself, what do I really want to share? Something came up that I don't actually quite, quite share in the book, but I'm realizing now is an addendum to what my story is. And that is, I want you to know that no story is insignificant. You may have shared moments in your life with, with other people, whether you're close to them or not. And you may have had moments where someone said to you, oh, you think that's bad. I've been through way worse. And so on some level, there may have been judgment about your story. And sometimes we don't even need other people to do that. Maybe we do that to ourselves. And that's what I discovered about myself, that I was comparing my story to other people's. You may hear stories of people, uh, and I'm just going to use some scenarios, but of course we can come up with a whole range of, of things. But maybe you hear a story of someone who was once homeless, and now they're a millionaire, just doing amazing things in the world. Or... Let's say, you know, they had the most awful traumatic violence done to them, and now they're out. You know, maybe they've got their own talk show, and they're rescuing the world. But maybe your story sounds something that is more, maybe more common. Maybe something that millions of other people have dealt with, such as a relationship breakup. Or maybe someone died. It does not matter how common your story is. Your story is your story for a reason. And again, it's not about the actual context of the story, although that can have a lot of value in it. it. It's more so about what did you learn? What did you gain? How did you transform for, for the better through your story? And so I, you know, I really just wanted to start the show with that because I've discovered that it's just, there's so much in that. And when I shared that the other night in this talk, I had a few people come up to me and just tell me that, they were grateful that I mentioned that, and that did mean something to them. So I wanted to share that here in case it means something to you. And so don't discount your story. There's a lot in your story, and it is very powerful just the way that it is. So with that said, I would like to share with you a little bit about today's guest, and we're going to hear about her amazing, powerful story. And so today's guest is Jody Prowse. And Jody Prouse is a speaker, a blogger, an advocate. She is an ACOA, which stands for Adult Child of Alcoholics. And she is the author of her memoir, The Sun is Gone, 
a secret lost in secret. I'm sorry. The son is gone. A sister lost in secret shame and addiction and how I broke free. She is an outspoken advocate to eliminate the shame and stigma surrounding the addiction and mental illness, as well as empowering women to survive life challenges and family crisis. And there's so much wrapped up in that. So I'm going to leave that there. And with that, I'm going to bring on our guest. So welcome, Jody. Kim, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here. You know, this story, I your story involves a family member addicted to alcohol. And, uh, I mean, what I get out of that is you are this loving family member. And and although we may think that the, the challenge really surrounded the family member, I mean, it really impacts everybody else in the family and has this whole ripple effect. Does that... Does that resonate with your story? Oh, so much. You know, um, it took control. It, it was my younger brother that would eventually become uh, addicted to alcohol. And I loved him so much. Um, just, you know, coming from an alcoholic home when we were little children, we were bonded together forever by, you know, some of the things that we had seen as, as youngsters. We were best friends. We were just so close and uh, his addiction took control of my whole life um, just every minute of every day was consumed for six years with with trying to save him Wow what what were your initial thoughts when you realized your brother was becoming an addict you know um, you, you never see it coming um, I think a lot of people that don't have it in their family, they, they'll say to, to me and to other people, you know, he saw all those things, so why wasn't he aware and how could this have happened? And, you know, I always say, it's not like that. When you're a little child and you're witnessing other family members, you know, we, we had an uncle, we had a grandfather, our father, um, and friends, and, and they, these sometimes become our lessons of right, not our lessons of wrong. And I think this is often why it continues generation after generation. And I had, my brother was about 28 years old, and there wasn't some big blazing sign that, that said, hey, your brother's life is going to go downhill. I, I just saw mm-hmm. some small personality changes. Um, he wasn't coming around very much. I knew he was drinking more. Uh, he was missing really important events in, in my family, like birthdays and birthdays of my children at that time. And it was just so out of character. So at first it really was an obvious sign, but I did know something was wrong, and I did challenge him with that. And how open was he to sharing with you what was going on with him at the beginning? Well, he, I always say, you know, we're like polar opposites, and... You know, I am loud, and I'm outgoing, and I'm confident, and, you know, he was sweet and kind, and but very passive and, and not confident in who he was, and really always mm-hmm. did have trouble expressing his feelings. And when I can rewind now and see, you know, this started long before he was 28 years old. You know, he started drinking in high school, like most 
young people do. You know, they try drinking with their friends and and things like that. And um, and I think that that helped him open up and helped him not be so shy and helped him fit in. Um, and then he is one of the ones that that of course would become addicted to alcohol. Wow. Okay. And. So it sounds like it showed up in his teenage years and then really continued on into his late 20s. And yeah. What was that like? You talk about, in your book, you talk about shame and secrets. And would you elaborate on that a little more with us? Yeah, of course. I think shame plays such a huge, huge part. We are not supposed to talk about these things. You know, we say that addiction is a disease. Uh, science proves it, and it's not treated like that. It's not treated like that when we go to the hospital. It's not treated like that in the media. But, you know, I don't think it's treated like that in our own family. Even when I started speaking out and being a little bit more vocal about it, there's people in my own family circle that didn't agree. And it's when we say these things about our parents or about our grandfather or in my case, about my brother, it is because of love and compassion, and we want them to get help for an illness. But I think we're just made to feel you do not talk about it. You hide it at all costs. And I think my brother really felt that. Um, You know, until the very end, you know, he was 28 years old when I think it really started taking control over him, but it really was a 12-year journey of severe substance abuse. And, you know, alcoholism is progressive, which means it gets worse with time. And, um, you know, I watched that play out over the 12-year span. Wow. You mentioned that it's not really treated, um, I think the word disease, disease, it's not really treated like a disease. And, yeah, I'm curious how... How was it treated, and what do you think should be different about how it's treated? Yeah, well, I, we, I first, we had so much help offered to us that with therapy and rehab centers and the times he went to detox and many times when he went to the hospital. But the truth is, not all the time. I, I did witness the stigma and the judgment. I, I tell a story. It's, it's how I start my book of how we were treated um, in the hospital with a judgmental nurse when my brother came in there um, during the withdrawal process where he could die. Um, mm. And so I do talk about all those things. And um, not only just in the hospital, but in society, in talk shows, on television. Um, we are given those messages all the time. But I think to make a real impact in the world, I'm one that really says, to start talking to our children when they're very young, not wait until they're teenagers to start having conversations about drugs and alcohol, but to start when they're five and six and seven years old so that they grow up being aware and that they do believe it's a disease. That's a great, that's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. How did... So it sounds like initially you responded as a loving sister, wanting to take care of your brother. 
how did that evolve over time? The way you took care of him in the beginning or responded to, um, re- you know, responded to how, what he was experiencing as an alcoholic, and then how that changed over time when you decided to, to change things up. Yeah, well, I'll say for the six years um, when I was just, I'll say obsessed, but of course when your loved one is going to die, that motivates you. It motivates you to try to help them and try to save them and to try to do everything that you think you're doing is right. And I really did think that I had this under control. And up until 2006, when I, I was at the lowest point of my whole life, my brother was not getting well. He was not um, taking the advice of, that was offered to him. And I, I just felt I was failing him. I was failing my husband. I had let my kids witness some horrible things. Um, and my own health was failing. I just really knew then that someone in our family had to change. And so I got help for myself. And I, I went to therapy and I read books. And I finally made the switch of really believing that the whole family needs to change. Not We're so focused on the person we think is sick, the, the addicted one, that right. I think we, we lose sight that we don't know what we're doing either. And I finally got the strength through therapy to listen to exactly what they said to do, and that was to draw a healthy, loving boundary with my brother. And so I, I would do that in um, November of 2006. And that was the beginning of my healing journey. Wow. That healthy, loving boundary, what did that look like for you? Well, before I say what it looked like for me, I think I have to say what it looks like sometimes to other people. And that goes back to the shame and judgment of, of the world and society and even our family. You know, that healthy boundary was exactly what I was told to do. You know, I will only support you and help you if you are choosing recovery and to to do the things you need to do for recovery and to stay sober. And, and um, you know, to some of my family members, that meant I was abandoning my brother and deserting my family. And so it made it that much harder, um, you know. This addiction rips families apart, unfortunately. And, you know, even to some other people, I hear all the time, how could you give up on him? Or, I did not give up on my brother. I believed in him. He, I believed he could do this, but he couldn't, couldn't do it on his terms. He had to do what, what was best for um his sobriety and recovery, and that was ultimately change. And, you know, he, he didn't do those things. Wow. And were you the only one who, who really decided to, to draw some boundaries? Or were others in your family, did they start to get on board with doing that as well? No, I, I think um, in, in our family scenario, um, I was the only one to draw that painful boundary. And, you know, I, I will say uh, those relationships are broken and severed to this day. 
with with my mom um, and my father, um, and just until very recently, um, had have my sister and I started healing. But that was after an eight year estrangement. So I think that's also wow. very much a part of my story is that you know it's never too late to look back and admit you wish you had done things differently. Um, and to forgive and to heal and to say sorry. Um, because, you know, I, I do say my brother unfortunately lost his battle with alcohol addiction in March of 2012. Um, but I always say I lost many of my family members during this journey, you know, um, my mom, my dad, my sister for, for eight years. Um, and saying goodbye to someone that's passed away is painful, and it's just a loss that you have to work through. But it's also painful to say goodbye to people that are still alive. Absolutely. When you and your sister reconnected, was was she able to understand on some level why you made the decisions you made? You know, I wrote this book um, out of love for my brother. I thought this was such an important story to tell because I didn't think anyone could believe alcohol could do this. And of course, mm. we think it's innocent, don't we? It's legal and mm-hmm. it's in every restaurant and almost everyone yep. tries it someday. I never, ever expected. I, I had resolved in my heart that my family and I don't see things the same way and we were all hurting and we were all lost. And I never expected my sister to read the book. And after eight years, her exact words after she read it was, um, I never saw life, Jody, through your eyes. And I just thought that was so big of my sister. Um, You know, she was lost, too, in in something she didn't understand. And, And love makes you do things that, um, that aren't necessarily the best choices. But, uh, right. you know, that, that was our motivation back then. So I hope it, it, it does that for other families as well, Bring, brings them together. Um, and Yeah, absolutely. I, I am so grateful. I have a copy of your book here. Thank you for that. And I, while I haven't finished it yet, I can already tell this is going to be positively impactful on me. I love the way that you write. It's very, very easy to read. It's a very clear story. And yeah, this, this hits, this hits close to home um, for me and a lot of people. And there's one, there's one testimonial on the back of your book that really stands out to me that I would just like to read here in case it resonates for other people. At the very bottom on the back cover There's a testimonial from Dr. Susan Forward, and she says, As with any unhealthy family, the one who gets blamed and scapegoated is almost always the healthiest member. Brave, enlightening, and profoundly important. And I think a lot of people can resonate with that. So um, is there anything you'd like to add on on that statement that Susan wrote on your book? I, I love that, that she wrote that, and when I say that, it is with nothing but love and respect for my family members, because when we were going through this, we thought it was just my brother and alcoholism, 
And so that's what you're focused on. And then now being able to step back and, and put a magnifying glass to it, if there were some very unhealthy patterns. A lot of them had been set a long time ago. And, my, you know, my brother and I were two and six years old. And nobody wants to admit or say or think that their family is, is dysfunctional. And But if you can come together and just all get help for yourselves, I do believe that that is the key. I, I think that takes courage and strength, and, and it will save lives and, and men relationships. Absolutely. I want to ask you a question, and I, I am not implying anything when I ask this, so I just needed to preface and say that. Do you have any regrets about any part of your story? Anything you'd like to share? You, you know what I always say, and I love that you say regret, because, you know, my brother didn't make it, and there are lots of people out there and lots that get a hold of me whose, whose children or loved ones passes away from addiction or mental illness and not everyone does make it and not everyone survives cancer either but if there's one gift I can give everyone it is the gift of having no guilt you know we can't go back and so I don't I have regret of course I mean who who doesn't wish hey if I had known them what I know now but that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's just regret. And so I hope this story teaches other people. But never, ever call it guilt. I love that. And, and what would you say the regret is? is? What is the regret specifically about? I don't want to make any assumptions. Sorry. No, absolutely. I, I regret, you know, that for, first I'm, I... Knowing now, and you talk about the testimonials, I mean, it's 2017. We know so much more now. We know that early childhood trauma and or sexual abuse can cause anxiety and depression and more severe mental health issues and uh, alcohol and drug addiction. When my journey started with my brother in the year 2000, it was just always really focused on just stop drinking, stop drinking. And so, you know, my regret is that science hadn't progressed back then. And, you know, when I, when we look back now, my brother, even in his early childhood years, like eight, nine, ten years old, was having night terrors and symptoms of anxiety. And some of these things now that you could take your child and get help. And, and so those are some of my regrets. And certainly that I didn't from the very beginning get help for myself so that I knew uh, what I needed to do to support him in a healthy, positive way. Um, you know, be, that, that certainly is a big regret. Wow. We've only gone, gotten through the first half of the show, and this, you've shared so, so much with us. I love this. So thank you for being here. We are not done, but we are going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I would love to talk to Jody a little bit more about how life looks different for you today and how you have chosen to say yes to yourself and put your own self-care first and, and things along those lines. So stay right there. We will be right back with Jody Prouse. 
life looks today, your possibilities are endless. You deserve all the joy, peace, and excitement in life that you desire. Life doesn't come with a manual, and that's why personal coaching is so awesome. Moving forward is easier. Creating a new reality for yourself, healing your mind and body, it's all possible. Visit KimO'NealCoaching.com today to learn more and schedule your free consultation. What books are you reading? Are you ready for a must-read? Winner of the Inspirational Book of the Year Award and International Best Sellers, Dare to Dream, This Life Counts by Debbie Dashinger, as well as the acclaimed Wisdom to Success, The Surefire Secrets to Accomplish All Your Dreams. Buy the books from Amazon today. U.S. Book Review and Writer's Digest said these are critics' picks by Debbie Dashinger, Dare to Dream, and Wisdom to Success contain gems to live your life by. Sometimes we wish we could practically do nothing and still feel better. Guess what? You kind of can. When you schedule a Reiki or guided meditation session, you can just be and receive and allow the energy to shift. There's relief. These energy sessions can be done alone or combined with a coaching session. Find out more at KimO'NealCoaching.com and click on the Energy Work tab. Welcome back. You're listening to Every Day is a New Day. I am your host, Kim O'Neill, with guest Jody Prowse. And we are talking about her very powerful story that she wrote in her book, The Sun is Gone, A Sister Lost in Secrets, Shame, and Addiction, and How I Broke Free. And Jody, thank you so much. You shared so much that went so deep in just the first half of the show about your brother, how he lost his battle with alcoholism, and how you chose to to really put up some boundaries and stop enabling and and step aside and and I wanted to ask you a little bit more uh, about you know what happened after that as a result of that how did how did your life change once you chose to to stop enabling and say yes to yourself Oh, you know even I talk to people and and some don't understand when I when I do interviews and I I seem so happy and, and I don't seem sad about, about my story or what has happened. And, you know, I, I always, I always say, I still experience incredible sadness at times. Um, but I've worked really, really hard to come to terms with my story and, and to accept it. And that is not only just through therapy, but through reading books and listening to programs like yours and, and just surrounding myself with, with positive people. And instead of just focusing in on, you know, the negative, which will keep you stuck, right? And, and right. it keeps you down. I just always, no matter what has happened, try to pull myself and, um, or pull the positive out of anything that has happened, right? Um, and it has just brought me such a far way. I mean, he, he passed away in 2012. Um, I, I have exceptional friends. Uh, I love talking and sharing my story. And I, I, I was at, I didn't think I was going to survive. Um, and mm. that is how I felt in 2006. 
I thought my life had broken me. I, I really did. Um, and, and so I have just, I, I am like a, an evolved different person. It's, well, yeah, and it sounds like, the way you just described that, it sounds like you were trying to rescue someone else, but in that process, you were drowning yourself. Yeah, and, and even writing my story, you know, it took three years to write it. For the first two years, I cried almost every day. So I, I continued, mm-hmm. um, you know, hurting my own husband and my own family. They had to watch me do that. But it was something I needed to do to heal. And I really thought I was writing my brother's story. And then just this remarkable thing happened. It was like an Oprah aha moment. When in year three, when I was, you know, finishing the last third of the book, I really realized this isn't his story at all. It's mine. And I really had to let go of our childhood and let go of the feeling of responsibility for the little two-year-old boy, you know, that grew into a man. And it just was such a healing process for me. And, um, you know, I learned a lot about myself. As I said before, I learned a lot about my family that I didn't see before. And I think I'm a better mom now and a better friend and a better wife. And I most certainly am more empathetic and compassionate even to other people because I'm so aware that you just never know what someone else is going through. Absolutely. What what would you say to someone who thinks that creating boundaries and choosing to say yes to yourself is giving up on that family member who's struggling? What would you say to someone who might be taking this conversation in that direction? Well, first, I I will say I understand believing that. With every being in me, I understand that. But the word no can just be the kindest, most compassionate, loving gift you can give to your loved one and that you can give yourself. And it is not giving up on them. You know, I always say... When we raise our little children, we say no to them. That is how they are taught. That's how they have consequences. And and it is no different with our addicted loved one. And I am not, I can share my story, and I'm always very cautious in saying, you know, I'm not the professional. I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or, um, you know, work in a rehab center but they do all say not to enable and that, that do, by doing that, it just will not give your loved one the motivation to change. And I just, I use that. That's where, what I use my, where I got my strength. I just really believed that, um, you know, that there was people helping my brother on this path. Yeah. And, you know, I think I, let's, Maybe get a little more specific too on what what does enabling look like? Because I think some of us we know what it means, but we don't really connect the dots between what it means and what it looks like. What would you say enabling yeah, looks like? Yeah, and I think that your heart lies to your head. So I think that's a confusion. Yes. 
confusing part, right? It is all yes. motivated by love. Every single one of us, no matter what we are doing, that love is there. And, you know, I'll say for me, I never, not ever, made excuses for my brother or gave him money or called in sick for him. He was a grown man or paid his rent. And I, I would like to emphasize that was all being done. That wasn't being done by me. But what mm. I saw later is what I was doing. I was taking control. I was I was more in control than he was. Like, go to your appointments. And um, I was cleaning up his house every time. He, he went to rehab six or seven times. And, you know, I'd clean his house so when he came back it was perfect. And, you know, things like that where now when I look back... When he came back, of course, he thought everything was fine. It all looked fine. It looked beautiful. And and I think, you know, if, if he had had to really see some of the things that were going on and look after it himself, that perhaps things might work out differently. And I, I talk about in my book one thing, and, and, I, and I think this will resonate for people. My, my brother cut his wrist one afternoon and showed up at my house and my 14-year-old son was the only one home. So you can imagine what that would have entailed for my young son to have to clean up and call 911. And, oh, and wow. I, got, he, I got home late at night and my husband was sitting on the couch and, and I could tell he wasn't happy and I walked into the living room and my husband said to me, you rushed to the hospital to make sure your brother was okay, yet you didn't call home to make sure your son was okay. Oh. And that is just one example of so many examples of you're just lost and you're trying to be the best you can be for everyone and you're failing them all. And that was one of the things that really made me realize I need help. Wow. And where did you go to first get that help? What was that next step? Yeah, well, I had been to, to a therapist with my brother. That was, that was part of my probably taking too much control. Um, but it was always what he needs to do. What, what does he need to do to stay sober? It was never about what I needed to do for my own health and to support him. And um, so I went back to that same therapist, but this time with a whole different mindset. It was, I don't want to talk about how to get my brother to be sober. I need to talk about what I need to do for myself, my children, my husband, and ultimately my um, patterns to help support my brother in a healthy, positive way. And so that's, that's what I did. I really, and I listened, you know, we, we say we send our loved one to rehab. We expect that they will listen to everything that they're taught. Those people know so much more than us. Well, I just really believe the same for me. I believed, I believe they go to school, they're educated, they know what to do and I'm going to listen. And so that, that was when I, I found the strength for my, my healthy boundary. At what point did you 
become a member, or I hope that's the right term, at what point did you become a member of ACOA? Yeah, well, I've always followed different groups, and and I've always shared, or I guess I won't say always, I wasn't as vocal about it, but I never hid it from from people. I was always honest in saying that, that I was an adult child of an alcoholic, and, you know, I, I, yeah, I've just become more vocal. So, but really in the last few years is when I, I really, um, you know, joined lots of groups where um, those are the type of, of, of people I really want to reach because I think we all feel the same. And, um, you know, our stories may be different, um, but there are pieces in there that um, we can all learn from each other. Absolutely. Today, you are an advocate. Would you tell us more about that? Yeah, I'm very proud of my story, and I'm very proud to speak about it. And in again, in 2017, I mean, it is uh, in Canada um, in September, um, 30 cities are coming together to celebrate um, recovery. And I know there's many organizations in the United States that are doing the same. Um, you know, we see bright pink bows for cancer, and we see people raising money for Parkinson's and all these rallies and causes, but we don't ever see it for addiction. And so I'm very proud to be a part of being able to speak up and advocate for for addiction and mental illness. Um, and the more we share our stories, someone out there that just hasn't had the courage, they may find the courage to go for help or they may find the courage to speak publicly. And I think that's a great thing. Absolutely. And I'm so, I'm so sorry to hear that your brother, you know, his journey ended um, with, with his addiction. But have you been able to meet other people who were able to successfully go through rehab and, and be able to say goodbye to their addiction and, and connect with them? Uh, all the time. You know, the statistics are there's 5 million people in active recovery in the U.S. and 3 million in Canada. And that is why I believe and I advocate to listen to the advice of the professional. Go and get help as a family and listen because recovery does work and people do get well. And, and for those that have lost a loved one, I, I said it earlier, not everyone survives cancer, but sharing these stories and, and maybe what went wrong can help someone else and lead them on their path to recovery. Have you met any people who, again, people who are, you know, are now on the other side of addiction, who were able to share with you how it was a positive thing for them that their loved ones stopped enabling and stopped, um, you know, I, that's yeah. basically the question. How, you know, any, was there anything positive that you've heard about um, other people who've been like, been through that? Yeah, well, with I hear positive stories all the time, and but I've, I've actually never, you talk about your book that you just wrote, and, and I can't wait for that to come out. Thank it gave you. me an idea um, a few months ago that I would love to get my hands on a book or, or that actually has people in recovery that break down what enabling patterns look like. 
because I ha- the truth is I haven't specifically ever talked to anyone about what that is. And it would be really great to hear that from someone that that is in recovery. That because at the time, of course, um, they don't tell someone to stop enabling them, right? And um, right. and it is it is a um, cloudy because we don't know what it looks like exactly a lot of the time. Mm. You know, one thing I found so interesting, too, is through your story, you know, when you were dealing with all this, you also owned your own business. And, of course, you had your own family, too. And what? how did how did your brother's journey impact you, you know, being a businesswoman as well? How did that all mix together um, work out? Yeah. Well, at first, um, it didn't. We all, and, and I'm not going to put all of that on my brother's shoulders. You know, I almost lost my company. I think I wasn't focused. Um, I was rarely there. I mean, I remember hiding in the bathroom crying and, you know, my employees are three feet outside the door. I mean, you're doing your best. You're just surviving. Um, and, uh, we did almost lose our company and, but then as, as I started getting healthier and I, and, and I set the boundary with him, I really focused on me and what I needed and my company and, and my husband and my children. And, and I'm so proud to say my company grew to sales of over from, you know, nothing when it started to sales over $1.7 million a year. But I, I surrounded myself with really exceptional women and, and I think that can happen. You should do that in business, but also in life. Like people that build you up, not tear you down. And people that when you're in trouble, they rally around you. And then when they need something, you rally around them. And I really did have a business. I am so fortunate where those girls did that for me. And so much so that, um, I sold my company, um, and in December, I retired just, you know, seven, eight months ago because my heart's in a different direction now. Now I, I want to concentrate on my message and, and my story. And, you know, I think those girls allowed me to do that. Absolutely. Well, that's wonderful to hear you've, you've surrounded yourself with loving, supportive people. I know you you mentioned somewhere that you now have your family Yes, that's that's the hardest. I think one of the hardest lessons is is having to, and I've done that through therapy, and I've done that through reflecting and through looking to the past, and and you know looking back one last time, and then now I'm moving forward. That sometimes the best people for you in this life are not the ones you're related to, and so yeah, I call them my family, and. Um, you know, very, very much surround myself with those amazing types of people. I completely agree. And um, I, you know, for anyone listening right now that might be thinking, what, you know, we're talking about um, stepping away from family and, and you know, finding other people. Um, and the message here is not to say that family is not important, not to say to not love your your, you know, relative, your sibling who's 
struggling through really tough times. That's not at all what today's show is about. Today's show is about telling that other story because there is another side to addiction or, you know, something that would, would be similar to, you know, a family member dealing with their own um, mental health disease or, you know, situation that just is all consuming. So there is another side and it's the side of those people who, yes, they're doing their best to help out and love and overextending themselves to the point of, you know, you mentioned it earlier when you realized, wait a second, I've got competing priorities. You had your own family, husband, children, and then you had your brother as well. And, you know, it's really to highlight that that story is just as important. And it's, it's an, I think, an individual choice for every person that is dealing with something like this. Um, there doesn't have to be a right or wrong, but should someone want to choose and say, you know what, I have to put myself first. I want to choose to stop enabling. I, you mentioned that in 2006, um, it sounded like that was kind of like your rock bottom where you weren't sure how you were going to go on. And, and a lot of people these days, I think, are enduring journeys that feel very alone, like they are the only one on their journey. So I love that you are sharing this story. And, um, yeah, I just I wanted to I just wanted to say that because I don't want anyone to think that the message here is to to it's not to shame someone who's dealing with addiction. It's not to yeah. say that that person is not worthy of love and care. Absolutely not. And at the same time, though, the people who are trying to help that person, they are also still just as worthy of taking care of themselves. And so Absolutely. I love that you are sharing your story. Yeah. Absolutely, Kim. And. You know, I love my family, uh, even the ones that unfortunately, you know, our relationship didn't survive the stress of this. And, you know, no one hopes more in our, in our future that things will change. And everyone is worthy of, of help. And, um, and, and I think that is the message of, of everyone getting help for themselves because we are all lost. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, well, Jody, is there is there anything we've shared so much today and I just thank you so much for being here. Is is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you would like to share that you want people to know? Um, I think really that that I will always say, you know, about about my brother and, and I talk about it in my book and I talk about it privately. It's just how wonderful is of the advancement of science and how wonderful it is for all of us to now start to speak more openly and honestly about it because, you know, I I know now my brother had more severe mental health issues um, that we didn't realize. And if he had, had had help for a concurrent disorder and went to a treatment center where they dealt with his mental health issues and his alcoholism, how things could have worked out different for our family. But I think a lot of families don't know to look for that. Um, But also saying it would have still always been on my brother and my brother alone to change and to deal through the pain and to come out, you know, the other side with recovery. Absolutely. And and what are some of the things that you 
what are some of the things that you do for yourself today that really just continue to nurture you as you, you're, it, it's been a few years now, um, but you mentioned earlier that, you know, you still have moments where it gets you down and it's sad. What do you do to really um, give yourself love and just continue to, to come back to that place within yourself where you can, can feel good and supported? Yeah. Well, uh, I have only been talking to my sister for four months. Um, and although it has brought peace and healing, it also brought up a lot of dialogue. We have never in our life talked about our childhood. And so I will, wow. I, I want to let everyone know I'm still not perfect. I'm still just human. And I did just a couple months ago have to go back to therapy. I take it very seriously, but I think it just brought up again for me a whole bunch of, of new memories that that um, I'm still sorting through. So I do that. I do still read books. I'm very aware not everyone can afford expensive one-on-one therapy, but there's amazing books out there. Like you talked about Susan Forward and and you know there's you know Brenny Brown and Melanie Beattie and and Frank Lawless. Um, wrote a wonderful book that talked about addiction and you can go on the internet and there are just so many things you can do to help yourself. And I take that really seriously. I try, you know, if I'm struggling a little, I try to be outside more and we live at the lake and and that brings me happiness. So, um, I do, I really acknowledge when I'm, when I feel that, you know, I'm not, not quite right, I guess. Thank you. I love all of that. You know, I think the biggest takeaway on what you just shared is that there isn't necessarily, there may be, but there isn't necessarily an end point to some things. And some things there are, but some things, you know, we may have come, you know, made it over what appeared to be the biggest hurdle, but then maybe, you know, there's still some residual things to work through over time. And the reason why I think that is so important is because we may think that, like for you, you for instance, in sharing your story, you could have allowed yourself to think that I'm not going to share my story yet because I haven't still, you know, spoken to my sister or I haven't, you know, talked about any of this with family members. You know, we could continue to delay and delay and delay. And all that really does, though, is prevents us from being able to connect with others who can benefit with our story up to the point that we have gotten through. And I think that's fantastic that you are doing that. I can certainly identify that with, with my story. The book I mentioned earlier, um, you know, we, like I said, we all got together this past weekend and shared a little bit about our story. And something I've found is that just preparing and sharing the story with other people brought up some of that old stuff again. And I thought, wait a second. Oh no. How can I share this story if I'm not completely beyond it? Now I'm way, way, way beyond it. But, but you know, but to, yeah. Okay. You can, so yeah, to experience that there's still something residual there. It's, you know, it's, it's okay. It happens. And I think, go ahead. We're too hard on ourselves. And especially, (laughs) we are too hard on ourselves. And Even when I ended the book, the fact I don't see my mother and I didn't see my sister, I wanted it to end a different way, but that's not the story I had. 
But I think it's great because it still shows we can still evolve. You know what, Jody? Jody, I'm so sorry to cut you off. It looks like we're at the very end of the show. We just kept going on and on. (laughs) And Jody, I want to thank you so, so much for being here. For all those listening, you can find out more about Jody by going to jodyprouse.com, and that's J-O-D-E-E-P-R-O-U-S-E.com. And if you want to find out about future shows, I know we're rushing this, and I hate to do that, but... Um, you can go to KimO'NealCoaching.com, and O'Neill is O-N-E-I-L-L. And I will absolutely keep you all posted on the book, Positive-Minded People, coming out. You can find us on Facebook as well, Facebook.com forward slash Positive-Minded People book. And Jody, thank you so, so much for being here today. Thank you, and much love to you. Much love to you as well. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Until next time, remember, every day is always a new day.